Hello and welcome to Sellers Lounge. I'm your host, Pritha Dubey, an international sales trainer and founder of Success Vitamin, where we help organizations create sales superstars by combining the science of selling and the emotional intelligence. On this podcast, I sit across global sales experts to find answers to some of the most pressing revenue growth questions that are on the minds of business heads, CROs, and the startup founders today. We are spotting the top trends and tools that are disrupting the landscape of sales. Ready to graduate from Sales 101 to Sales 1001? Stick around because class is officially in session. Jump right in. everyone good morning good day and good evening everybody and whosoever is tuning in at this point uh, for this particular episode uh, let me welcome you all to our podcast the sellers lounge now i'm i'm very very thrilled and excited to introduce our guest for today and uh, this is uh, denis champagne and he's joining us from Canada. The exact name of the location is uh, a bit difficult for me to pronounce. Probably when I give it to Denis to introduce himself, he'll give you the name of the uh, location. But I have been, I have known him for quite some time and I've interacted with him and something that he specializes in and for which I thought that when he comes here, again, like every other episode, this is going to be a masterclass on prospecting. He's a master on prospect. He has over 30 plus years of uh, self-employment and sales experience. He's seasoned in the B2B sales sales side. And he's developed, and we're going to talk about this, he's developed and implemented the Teams method, which is a proven sales model that integrates old school sales practices with the modern era methods and where we are able to leverage a lot of technology as well. So welcome, Denny, and please tell us a little more about you and why prospecting of all the other aspects of sales. Thank you, Preeta. First of all, I love what you do. I, I, I follow you. I think that you are a wonderful, brilliant example of a true professional who cares about helping the sales profession and helping salespeople to further their enjoyment of the of the work, which is so fundamentally important and in my estimation, always a bit kind of failing back because of a number of factors. So thank you for this. I believe prospecting is the most difficult because you are confronted with yourself and getting people to accept you fundamentally. That is the driving force for a lot of people who, for one reason or another, inside their own lives are failing to appreciate themselves and they have what I call imposterism, failing the imposter syndrome. A client of mine yesterday posted imposterism through talking with psychologists. So it's interesting that that thing came about before we interviewed each other. You interviewed me today. So it's about getting confidence. And trusting that what you do for others is going to be accepted. And that's the part that's difficult. And everybody uses the word rejection. And I find the word rejection is a very negative and detrimental term. I prefer to view things as being refused of an offer. So there's a difference between refusal and rejection. And if you've listened or heard anything about Zig Ziglar way back, he talks about that. So... 
It's to give confidence to people, to trust that they are serving someone, they're giving something to someone. Prospecting is the first, the first and the final frontier because if you are capable of connecting with humans, with relevance, with attention, with care and confidence and calmness, you're more likely to just start a conversation. But in the back of the mind of a salesperson, there's a lot of junk there, a lot of false and long-held myths about greed, about gaining instead of giving. You give when you, you know, it's giving that's the most important thing, but they have a hard time with that. It's a difficult thing between your personal needs and the needs of others. So there's the bodhisattva, as we say in Buddhism, spirit of being a servant and helping someone else. And if you come with that spirit, prospecting is a lot easier. So it's the most difficult part, and that's why most people don't want to prospect or are not successful, and there's so much buzz of prospecting. And the exchange with people, the tone of our conversations change because now they're comfortable. They say, I feel I can trust this, and he speaks something that I want or I'm facing as a problem. It's a long answer <laughs> to a short question. Because it demands this kind of explanation. It's not just about a simple 30-second soundbite. It's deeper than that. It's about people's ability to accept when someone doesn't want to talk with him or her. Or, yes. So in order to generate confidence, you, you need to be prepared for all of those eventualities. You need to have your, as we say, your act together. So... People are mixed up, you know. One of mine said, human beings are like cement. They're all mixed up and they're all permanently set. So you have to break the chain of causality and their confidence. And so there's a lot of reasons for coaching prospecting, focusing on better prospecting, because once the door is open, you can now engage in a conversation. That's absolutely how it should be and how ideal, ideally prospecting should happen. Very rare to see someone actually approach prospecting with that kind of a mindset. The, the servant attitude that you spoke about, the servant mindset that you spoke about, which also is where the word, you know, the sales comes from when they say that to sell is to serve. Very few people, unfortunately... Maybe the heart is in the right place. The the intention is right, but because of chasing the quota and the numbers and also because the leaders are also constantly in probably every huddle asking for only numbers and nothing else, they probably are not asking how many people did you serve today or how many people gave you an opportunity to, to be served by you. That's not a question that they asked, right? How many dollars or how many checks did you bring in today is the question that they ask. So what has what has changed in prospecting, Denny, from the time that you had been in sales and to what you are seeing now when you're coaching and mentoring and training others? How have you seen prospecting changed over a period of time? Yes. Well, I started with a owning and managing a call center in the 90s. And even I worked in telemarketing and selling products, office products in the 80s. The one thing is there was only one thing that we could use is the phone. Nothing else. Couldn't use anything else. There was no email, there was no computer, there was no television, no direct direct direct. It was only the phone. And 
the post office with a paper that you put in an envelope and you mail it. That was the only way. Or physically, you come to the uh, place of occupation of the job and you speak to the customers physically one-on-one. So we had to practice, and we had a lot of chance to practice using the phone. Today, we have a plethora of ways to reach out to someone. And it has a double-sided edge of a, of a knife. It can be good because you have many ways of reaching someone, but also it's a way for people to hide from you in many different ways. So you have to use and leverage the possibilities of outreach and contact point with someone on different platforms until you find the place where they like to interact, they like to exchange with you. And then you focus on that, but there's a, an approach, the combo. Combo mean meaning sh- using the phone, using the email, using your LinkedIn, using WhatsApp, using text message, using Discord. There's many, many ways. Often, people are shy. They say, oh, I left him a message and he didn't call me back. I said, so what did you do else? Oh, I'm waiting. No. Today, because people are so distracted by so many things, their their ability to focus comes into question very often. They have to use techniques like Pomodoro, where they work 25 minutes, they take a break for five. Otherwise, they lose focus. But very often, it's hard to be reaching. There's a whole thing as well. The economic turmoils of our last 40 years has made it such that executives come together to make a decision. They don't make a decision alone. So you're having to navigate and socialize a consensus amongst a number of decision makers together. So you have to understand and talk to different people. So you have to talk to different people if it's an enterprise sale, or you have to engage patiently with someone. The other thing is these these quarterly objectives. People want people to buy because the date they have a goal is tomorrow. People are going to buy when they are ready to buy. So prospecting implies then that if you don't have a large, powerful, deep pipeline of qualified opportunities that have different timings, you'll never reach those objectives and you'll always be below quota. So the reason of prospecting is not only to have a volume of prospects, but of good quality engagement. So it's all about focusing on the individuals, focusing on the problems you solve, addressing that quite carefully, respectfully asking when they think is the best time to get back, going deep. Tony Hughes, which is someone that I have followed, that also says, objections only come about when you didn't do your job. So there's that philosophy. Some people don't believe that. They believe that you want people to give objections. So if you're not prospecting all the time, you can't have the quantity of quality that so that when it comes to your quarterly goal, you can calmly engage. And when you can quality engage, you're calmer. If you're calmer, people want to talk with you. 
people don't smell commission breath on your on your talk. They don't sense that you are just there to generate the revenue. But you carefully approach and say, listen, there's no worries. If you're not ready, just like the prospect I was on a call before this podcast, now he's ready. He said, Q24, Q1 and 24, I want. Let's me talk to my I, – I, it resonates. Now I'm ready for you. I've been at this guy for a year and a half, but I have other in the pipeline. So I'm not stressed. And he sensed that I was there at his timing, not my timing, his timing. So once you do things correctly and you're building the foundation of your success on the idea that prospecting is the only way that you can engage with people, that prospecting is a spirit. I want to reach people and make new connections and talk to people. I want to talk to as many people I can. I want to help as many people as I can. If you take the approach, I want to help as many people as I can. So how do I do that? I got to go out there and express myself and reach out. So the word reach out is like a long arm that you're trying to touch people. How you do that, there's many ways. So technology, if you come with the spirit of the 80s, the 90s, with the technology, if you're smart using even AI from time to time, you got to be very careful with that. There's still a lot of work to be done in the realm of how AI is actually leveraged in human-to-human conversations. got to be very careful with that. The sky's the limit. It's just that people are told by leadership, and obviously we know that culture comes from the leadership, and, and unfortunately, greed is still deep inside the hearts of a lot of people. They don't want to admit it. They won't say it openly, but when the conversations behind closed doors between the CEO, the CFO, and whatever, you know what I'm saying. So that's that's the dichotomy. That's the the balance. And if you really, if you take care of your people, and you help them to become confident, it's wonderful to see the change. And then the then the dollars follow. The the the, the results follow. People don't feel stressed. They don't feel imposed a timeline. They decide on their time. I think that's that's the crux of the right prospect. It's called mindful prospecting, which is probably where we are intentional with whatever we are doing. And that is when we are mindful with your prospecting is when you then have that pipeline. And you don't come across as desperate to your clients also. And neither are you actually so stressed and worried that how am I going to achieve my quota? Like you rightly said, that if you are available to the prospect at a time when the prospect wants you, when the prospect is ready, is when you are actually increasing your chances of closing that particular deal rather than when you want that prospect to be ready for you then what's happening? I mean, just logically look at that entire situation. You're trying to convince the other person, persuade the other person, and then probably getting into all sorts of tricks and tips and on whatever you are up, you have up your sleeves to somehow get that client to say yes, which is frustrating for both the parties. It's uh, And also, I think if you prospect with that kind of a myopic mindset or vision, then 
it's not going to give you a very long term response you're going to struggle every month every month it's a new month for you and every month is a struggling month for you and you probably are worrying now what is going to happen for my so there is you're not actually peaceful and it's it's a and it's not worth it if you're not even able to have peaceful sleep in the night then it's not worth it so you need to ask yourself that question that why am i not sleeping work related personal life need some other kind of help but in work related if you're in sales and you're not able to have a peaceful sleep then you need to ask yourself you also mentioned about technology and how much we can rely on these ai driven tools like say chat gpt so people are using it and many are actually kind of depending on chat gpt and then they are like vouching for it that oh this is like one of the most brilliant inventions of this era which is like helping us with the prospecting i wish chat gpt could take a prompt and uh, call on our behalf and and uh, over a period of time maybe that is also what's it's going to happen that we are going to just give a prompt to chat gpt and say that this is the number of the prospect use male voice or a female voice of this accent and that and then use your own script and call up and have a proper conversation with this and let me know what happens at the end of it probably that's all we will be left to do is it just giving prompts and don't use our brains don't use our knowledge do not use our skill is that what's going to be the future for us i have no idea you're placing too much responsibility on that question on me i have i'm not the most technocentric professional in sales i use some of it but i still believe that and i still have maybe innocently so prompt you know kind of prompt averse a little bit I prefer to try to craft some narratives. I like to do my research with companies and really understand because when clients when you speak with them that they they know that you have fact-based information. And if you did your research and you do use AI for those purposes of proper research and funneling through then having that conversation with people one of the ways that's very powerful now is the video So just speaking with you like this and having a message on LinkedIn and a direct message on your phone broadcasting to someone they feel you see their face they feel and you are then you use AI to bring up points that are most likely areas of concern or problems that they have that they feel understood when you say they say this person understands my reality he has brought up some very valid points he exposes himself makes himself vulnerable through video so the use of the technology of the video the use of the technology of ai so that the human can shine most and best yes i have people that are you know el- older professionals that for their own reasons their english their spoken word is probably not as compelling they somewhat from another culture and their english fails and so they use the written form of ai to be very eloquent but when you open your mouth the person will be able to pick up on the fact that that wasn't really your written english it was a created english and there's an incongruence between that which you wrote and that which you say and how you say it that they know that you created that kind of artificiality 
from an AI tool. So you got to be very careful to remain as authentic as you can. And authentic means really being who you really are. And a lot of people don't like who they are. So they will use things to try to shortcut, to bypass, to accelerate inorganically a way to connect with people. Now, in some cases, you may have a very good offering. You may have some very valuable solutions for the problems they have. And if you end up reaching, at the end of the day, some of them will say to themselves, it doesn't matter how I got to him, I helped him. And the argument could be placed in, the, in favor of that kind of thinking, but that's a very personal decision. I prefer to always feel as organically as human and as direct as possible. And if you do that, you're probably over time more likely to keep the human side that is within each other alive instead of being kind of what I would call anesthetized or put to sleep a little bit, paralyzed in the mind by these AI kind of modalities. So then we are likely to have a population that's going to be more susceptible to responding favorably to artificialized information. And that's where the danger becomes prevalent in society. I think that's the future probably. And anyway, so uh, we need to adapt to the changing time. And something that you talk about, Denny, is the adaptability quotient. And and on we are going through a very, a, a very fastly changing, times are changing extremely fast. The disruptions are happening every second. There's something new that's coming in. Like it was just some months before that people were talking about chat GPT. Now it's chat GPT 4. And now there are so many different AI tools that has come into our lives asking, telling us that I can help you with this. I can help you create a picture. I can help you write a song. I can help you code. I can help you do this. Like, so, you know, there's so much of changes that are happening with us in, and especially with the technology. How do you advise, you know, this adaptability of a salesperson in this changing time? Because the buyers, the way the purchase process is also changing. The way that they are buying now or making the buying decision, that is that has also changed big time, right? So what is it? So shed a little light on this adaptability quotient that you talk about. Well, about adaptability quotient, I think, is inherent to human life because that's how you survive and thrive. Some don't adapt and fall by the wayside, and those do. I don't think that becoming a salesperson more competently, you are an adaptability quotient rich person. They just, some people are very, they assimilate information in a way that's very, how should I say, analytical. Others are much more diverse in their style. They're, you know, there's an old format called the character style grid that was used by the insurance salespeople way back, the analytical, the expressive, the friendship or friendly or the friend and the driver, the driver style. And you are a combination of some of those kind of features or natures, the nature of the person. You know, in my Buddhist practice, we talk about the personality, the character, the nature of the person, the fundamental nature of the person is where you have to start. So some people are just, they got it, they have it, they're easy, they're nimble, they're light on their in their minds, they can navigate around on multiple different things. 
Others who don't have, it's like playing sports. You know, some people are natural at a sport. Some others, it takes, I was watching some people playing cricket here in Canada, you know, and obviously you understand what cricket is. And I was asking them, some of them have been playing all their lives. Others, and it looks natural to them. Others, it, they play one year, but they're amazingly natural at it. So their adaptability within their system, so it depends. My saying is, my thinking on that is, how badly do you want to do what you do? And Newt Rockney, which is a very famous football coach in the U.S., said that he defines talent as tremendous drive. When you have tremendous drive, you'll find the ways to adapt. I, I think that is what the other phrase that we use, when, where there's a will, there's a way. So I think it, it kind of means the same. And the tremendous drive is when you have that will to do something and you will find a solution for, for to, to navigate that. But Denny, I think um, we'll have to come to the thing that I have been waiting for. And I think let the masterclass begin. And please take us through the team's framework because I know I have spoken with you on this and I, I absolutely admire this framework and I know how, how beneficial, how much beneficial this particular framework is. I also understand that uh, our podcast is not a justified uh, or a fair channel where this particular framework can be understood so clearly. Yet, if you can give us some idea and some intro and, and uh, basically the essence of this framework so that people can get an idea about it. Okay. So thank you for this. Teams has been, I was developed, it was developed with me because I had been through different frameworks in the past and I will not mention any of the other frameworks because there are a plethora of them and they all have their purpose and their instrumentality over time. Some of them probably more relevant now than they were then. Some of them were relevant then that they're not now. Things evolve. The ecosystem changes. The way people think changes. Uh, so we talk about adaptability. The one I decided, why I decided to create this team's framework is to give people a structure to on for ongoing. It's something that has timeless capabilities. And it's meant not to be the exclusive end-all, be-all framework. But it's certainly a, a add-on that's going to be valuable for the start and for the continuation. So T-E-A-M-M-S is the word. So it's not one M, it's two M's for a number of reasons. So T is really meant to, what I've discovered over time, is that the number one problem I found coaching others, but also coaching myself and helping me to do the, my job as a vice president in prospecting for clients, working on a, an interim management process uh, role, is most success or lack of success is because poor targeting. So T, in this case, is means target. Now, the word target has many means. Okay, so... And, and then I'll go to the other letters, and then I'll come back to targeting. So T is targeting. E means execution. Because as many of my friends said, not many, but some of the very successful friends I had, and I'm lucky to have them, they said, what makes the difference between a good idea and a bad one is the one that's being executed on. Right. So, oh, I'm afraid someone's going to steal my idea. Don't worry. 
they're not going to execute on it. They're three years behind you. So you go ahead and execute. A is something that every sales manager dreams of having is a fully well-populated CRM. Eternal problem in companies. So A means account for activity. Put the information in the moment in the CRM. There's not one company that will be able to sell their business if they don't have a system of record that's well-populated with all the detailed activity to serve best a client. I know a, a company that almost lost $50,000 bill because the person had read the email they sent. He says, I'm not paying because I never received. You didn't tell me about this. But if you have in your CRM a note that says, on such and such a date, we sent you an email and you didn't open it because we can see it in our records. And then the person goes, oh, my goodness, you're absolutely right. It's my fault. Save yourself $50,000 loss. Just an example. So A is for account for activity. Put the information in CRM. M means to measure, analyze, decipher, assess, try to get extract and decipher what is it that's the value in this particular piece of information you populated. M, the other M, is manage it. What are you going to do? What the timeline for follow-up, the timeline for next steps, the timeline for using this, the value of this information. S, at the very end, very simply, means success. What does success mean to you in terms of that role you're executing in the company? And then you go right back to T, did I reach my target? So that has a looping effect. And it's an ongoing continuum. It's not, it's this or that. And maybe during part of your work, you may work more on the E or the activity. or But it's a looping, condensed, fairly complete framework to allow yourself to structure. If we go back to T, and I will only say this very quickly because we can go in further detail, T has many targets. The one target that most sales teams do not focus on is the salesperson. What are his intrinsic, personal, intimate targets for doing this work? Do we care about our team? Richard Branson says so well, take care of your people. They will take care of your customers. It's such common sense that it's uncommon. Common sense is uncommon. So let's talk to the individual rep. And my client this morning, when I spoke to him half an hour ago, he goes, oh my goodness, I'm so, so happy you said that. Because we don't really spend, we don't even know what, why they're working with us. We just know they're working with us. We don't, we don't delve into their real lives goals. Another person that says something very, very pertinent and relevant, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. What I really appreciated about Gary's pr proposition and managing sales teams and teams is you have an employee that, for all his intents and purposes, he's at an age where all he wants is to generate as much revenue as he can. Oops, two years later, he's, he's a babe, he's a father. His priority has changed. 
Four years later, he wants to focus on generating new revenue for buying a house. So people have different reasons to to stay. They come in for a reason. They don't stay for that same initial reason. So you need to keep checking on their targets. What's in their hearts? What's important? What drives them? Why are they with your company? Can they articulate that? So targeting the individual motivation, in this case intrinsic, then we can move to extrinsic motivation. What are your goals with this company? Are you clear on the objectives? Do you have a roadmap? I have a younger lady I'm working with now who's in the inbound marketing support systems, customer support. And I asked her, what are your drafted, what are your clearly explained responsibilities and roles and how will you be measured for your performance? She says, I have no idea. And she started crying in our conversation because she felt frustrated. She wants to know. She wants to be clear on her targets, you see? So that's an extrinsic motivator that has not been clearly addressed. And they wonder why people don't perform. Well, you haven't put anything clear in front of them as a target. So we're not even talking about selling the product now. We're just talking about care, personal care for the team, uh, every player on the team. Then we go start talking, okay, now let's look at what do we solve as a problem? What are real problems we solve with what we do? Can we express it? Can we articulate it? That's what we call product market fit. From there, we can talk about who are the likely individuals or individual that are likely to be the ones with whom we need to have a conversation of value within the organization that they can acquiesce, acknowledge, and mutually agree upon that this is a problem that exists. And they say, yes, we have that problem. Now you're now starting to ready to move on to, okay, what are the narratives? What are the conversations you need to be having with those people and navigate? So Target has many, many, many targets. takes In my 10-week program, I spent three sessions only on Target. Yeah, I I was just um, imagining it, how it would be. Because um, when we're talking about Target, and it's it's one word, of course, but in sales, obviously, when we use the word target, it's only one meaning that we can derive out of it. But that's not what it is, right? So target as a word could mean so many different things that we are working towards. It's intrinsic, right? Like you said, and it's ex- the external factors also that has to be taken care. And I believe that the motivation to even come to the next level, which is E, Execution. Why execution probably doesn't happen. And I'm just talking, I'm probably thinking out loud and talking this loudly with you as it is coming on my mind is because, see, the the proper execution happens when I have understood the intrinsic targets, the inner, inner goals that I have. I've also understood my external goals, the external targets. And I have figured out an alignment between the two. Now, at times, it can also happen that I have an intrinsic inner targets, intrinsic targets, and the yeah the external targets that I have, that's not matching. That's not allowing me to fulfill my internal targets. Then what do I do? Am I going to be a good executioner? Maybe not. I will follow orders. I could be an order taker for you. 
but I may not work with you with complete ownership and accountability. So teams as a framework, Tenny, how I'm looking at it is not only is it a very interesting and a good framework for the sales leaders, but even those passionate, you use the word driven. What was the will thing that the coach said? You use the word people who are tremendous drive. Yeah. So individuals with tremendous drive will be using teams as a framework for self-coaching as well. That's a very good point. And actually, I didn't even think of, but uh, thank you for that. It is a, a self-assessment. And I find that when you get to a point in your prospecting journey, in your professional journey, where you're capable of auto-correcting yourself, that shows that you're starting to be competent. Yeah. And that auto-correction can all, only happen when you're self-aware. And Teams allows Teams is an adjunct to that, is a helpful tool to actually create more self-awareness about where your journey is and where are the things that are lacking. Because let's face it, if you don't have clear targets, the execution cannot work. If your execution cannot work, your accountability to a CRM cannot work either. Absolutely. Because then you are, and that is exactly where now if you look at it, and it's such a solution I think it's such a eureka thing for most of, the, for at least for me, and I believe for everyone who is listening to it, that why in organization or why in a sales function as a sales leader, why do I have to keep reminding my people or chase my people or for, have a follow up, fill up the CRM, fill up all? Why is always the CRM like the the A part that you've written? Every activity has been entered into it. Why is it so incomplete? Why do I not have a data? It's like I have seen CRMs where people have just written, not interested. Now, if I want to even analyze the opportunity lost, and if I want to figure out that this not interested is because of my product, it's because of my price, it's because of my the person who went there and presented, it's because of what? I can't even, you're not even, the team is not even giving me an opportunity to course correct myself, to auto-correct myself. Why? Because you're so lazy, you don't want to fill in the data. You know, you don't want to fill in into the CRM. Now, again, if we walk, walk back and work back, the reason I don't want to fill in the CRM is because I don't feel motivated. Now, the reason I'm not feeling motivated is because you are asking me to execute certain tasks which I'm not happy about executing. Now, the reason why I'm not executing those tasks or I'm not very happy about doing those tasks is because there's a mismatch in my targets, in the way I am thinking or I am expecting and the way you are expecting from it. So one of the things that I have I had read in uh, the book, uh, How to Influence and Influence People, Dale Carnegie's book, and one of the leadership, in, in his leadership principles, he mentions that there is there are two ways you can get your team to, or, or you can get the work done from your team. One is called compliance. So you've said you have you are in a position of authority. You have asked them to do something, so they're going to do it, right? So that's a compliance. And the other one is willing cooperation, wherein it's they're not doing it because you have asked them to do it. They're doing it because they want to do it. They feel it from their inside that I want to do this job. And I think when you are able to move your team from that from that state of compliance to Willing cooperation is when you then get 
everything falling in place. And probably the entire team is in auto mode. You don't even have to be present to monitor them or supervise them. It's just happening. And everybody's having fun. You can probably relax in Hawaii and the team will still be doing the work for you. <laughs> yes, there is. A, there is a, and I'll just explain or expose a little bit my Buddhist practice. Whereas there's, there's, a, two, there's two ways of getting people to do things. In our practice, what we call shakabuku, which means to share the law with other people for out of deep care and out of deep belief for the law, the mystic law of the Buddha, the Dharma. And there's ways of doing it. There's two ways. There's zuiji and zuitai. Now, zuitai, you end up doing it because someone told you that that's what you need to be doing. Zuiji, on the other hand, comes from the Buddha's heart in you. Everybody's Buddha. When your heart says, I want to do this because I believe this is the best way for my client, and out of autonomous, willful, motivated, excited, decidedly so, action that springs from the well inside of you, and no one has to tell you to do it, you get up and you do that because you know it's the best thing for everyone. It's called autonomous for a reason. It means you decide. No one has to tell you. You made the decision that you're going to go to the gym and you're going to go lift some weights because you know muscle is an important quality in our lives to live. No one has to tell you. You made a decision. And you know what's the most difficult thing to do in life is make decisions. You know, it's basically that. It takes... It comes from the well inside your heart. So people are, are doing most of the time things because they're told they have to do it. But if you take the time, and if you took the time with the tea at the beginning, you don't have to explain why. They know why. They feel it. Because taking a decision also means that I have to take the responsibility of that decision. That's a big burden. And it's better that I instead follow someone else's decisions so that later I can pass the blame on that person and tell them that uh, not me, you asked me to do it. So it's your responsibility. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that, you know what, that's so easy for people to cop out by saying, well, you told me to do it, I did it, and it didn't work, right? Whereas in the management principle and managing yourself is part of being a manager, managing yourself is responsible. I, I learned that in business school. Authority and responsibility must go hand in hand. So if you give someone the responsibility to do something, they must have the authority to make those decisions accordingly. Because otherwise, it's what we call in Buddhism, seeking enlightenment, outside of yourself and that is why probably so many so many salespeople shy away from prospecting when i was in the corporate i i would always dislike this prospecting phase i would be like i would rather prefer someone else did all those callings and everything for me and i would just go and meet up and do the rest of the aspects, you know, meet up with them, negotiate with them. I'd enjoy all that stuff. But prospecting, I still remember one time I was given a database and I was asked to call up all these numbers on a database. And I just came after some time I finished and I told my boss, I'm going home. He's like, what happened to the calls that I'd gave you, you know, the database 
So I said, yeah, I could connect with only a few of them. Most of the numbers are wrong numbers. They don't exist. And my boss was like, he was he was staring at me with you know utter unbelief, disbelief that a person with and by then I have had almost like five plus five or six years of experience by then. And imagine the excuse mindset that I had at that point of time. He was looking at me in utter disbelief that, are you really kidding me? Are you telling me a people with a, a sales, salesperson of your caliber is going to come back to me and say that this number is, you know, is, is, is wrong number or it's unreachable and therefore you didn't try to use any alternate method to reach out to this client. You just left it. Now, from where does you know, this kind of attitude come? Again, it is circled back to that T that you spoke about targets. So thank you so much, Zenny. I think this was a very, very deep conversation that I had with you because it had a combination of spirituality. It has a combination of emotional intelligence it has the self-awareness mindfulness and also understanding about the client it's this conversation I think whosoever is listening to it will the, the key takeaway for every listener here would be that you need to first work on yourself and know who you are and be self-aware because if that can happen everything else you will you will be able to find a solution for yourself I'm and 100 in agreement with you yeah so great and uh, thank you very much it was i really had a lot of good time speaking with you and and i hope and i'm sure that all the listeners and audiences here also has is having a great time listening to to this podcast thank you so much Teddy. thank you so much and that's a wrap on today's episode of sellers lounge a huge thank you to our guests and of course all of you sales champions out there who tuned into this episode. If you found value in today's conversation, make sure to follow the podcast and share it with your sales buddies. Please also leave a review sharing what you like about this podcast. And if you want to take your sales game to the next level, head to my website, thesuccessvitamin.com to get loads of exclusive content and courses. This is your host, Pratha Dube, signing off with a reminder that if you are not selling, you are not winning. See you next week.